0: It's interesting, Joe, because you know, as you just said, you don't actually use cannabis, you know, regularly or anything, and you know, but still, you you gave a yes at all? Yeah. No, yeah. Not yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because you don't use cannabis, but yet you still voted yes for it. Mm. Um, Joe, I actually voted no in the end. Um, you bastard! <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm very sure a lot of people who listen to the podcast and a lot of my friends and family would actually, you know, like what? You know, you voted no.
1: What's going on? My name is Gio,
0: and this is me, LJ,
1: and welcome to the assessment. Proudly part of the West West Network family.
0: Yeah. How's your day been, dude? Um, it's been a good day. I had a good day. Um, yeah, so it's only tomorrow left, and then I'm, you know, on two days off, which is, you know... Yes, and then
1: I'm to. back on at work tomorrow. Oh, I feel like Colleen's sick,
0: actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've al- already applied for another day's leave next week. Um, no, you have
1: not. <laughs> who keeps who keeps giving you these leaves? Uh-huh. You know, I need to find out how you're... Uh, <laughs> I need to find out how you're getting so much uh, annual leave accredited to your... To your uh, to your balance.
0: I actually think our team leader is, you know, already rolling his eyes. You know, just already <laughs> applying for leave again.
1: Oh, but it's fair. I think we should, we should, we should have been just given leave to use, you know, after the lockdown. But you know, mm. you know can't complain. Mm-hmm. Christmas is coming up though, so it's one of our most busiest times of the year. It's already November.
0: I can't believe it. To be honest, this year has gone very quickly.
1: Hmm. I. I Yeah, I only feel like it just hit October and I was thinking to myself, oh, look, it's almost October and it's going to be November soon. And now we're it's the 4th of November. Mm. So Guy Fawkes is coming up tomorrow, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And I remember because each... I like to do a New Year's uh, resolution. You know, it's it's not that it has to happen, but I do like just saying something, you know, 1 o'clock, you know, on the 1st of January and, you know, toasting it with good friends and family and stuff. And, you know... And then in the end of the year, you know, I usually reflect that I actually meet any of it, you know, Um, and one of my my newest resolution it because 2020 was when I guess COVID um, kind of um, started and all of that, you know, so. It was actually to spend more time, you know, with friends and family. That was my 2019 one. And then COVID happened and that didn't happen at all. It was kind of the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) And then 2020 came and, you know, New Zealand is, you know, isolated from the world and everything. So my newest resolution again, you know, spend more time with friends and family and things. And then, you know, here we are back in, I guess, lockdown.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't... I don't usually do New Year's resolutions because I never keep it. So I don't see a, a reason to actually do it every year. So do you have one planned coming up? Or is it kind of around the same sort of things? Spend more time with family and friends? and Which I feel you do heaps anyway, don't you?
0: I think um, I, uh, the, the lockdowns has actually hindered it quite a lot. Um, because some of my friends... Um, You know they are you know very serious around their bubbles and things so we've only been in contact on you know social media and stuff Mm -hmm. but not face to face you know not actually sitting and you know having a cold beer together or doing a bride together Mm -hmm. or you know so it's different
1: well it's it's good someone's keeping to the lockdown bubbles you know (laughs) (laughs) the stories i hear is that people breaking bubbles left right and center you know so it's nice to know that some people are keeping to the law so today we kind of had two things we wanted to talk about didn't we you kind of wanted to talk a little bit about kind of like the impact of substance use uh, has on on the clients that we deal with on a day-to-day basis and i also wanted to talk a little bit about one of the main legislative documents we use um for work which is the mental health act um, which is quite a big hefty document and mm, op- but maybe we can st-
0: yeah, And often, you know, uh, substance abuse, you know, it, the, it actually affects the mental health act a little bit. So that would also be kind of good to, you know, explore a bit. And,
1: oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it could be a make or break, couldn't it? <laughs> so, oh, man, I mean, where do we begin? You know, substance abuse is such a heavily intertwined part of the work that we do that it almost feels like we do bits and pieces uh, like CADs. You know, but obviously CADs are much more specialized than us. CADs being the community drug and alcohol service. Um, but did you have anything particular you wanted to talk about, about substance use and sort of yeah. the impact?
0: So I actually wanted to take us back to the 2020. I think the elections was in 2020, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. Could, yeah, it's a, oh, yes. I think it's about oh. a year. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. We'll, we'll just go yeah. with that because I actually don't actually remember. <laughs>
0: I think it was last year. Um, I hope so. But um, but why I actually wanted to take us back to the uh, elections is because at that same time New Zealand was able to do, I guess, um, have a say around, you know, the legalization of cannabis, you know, um, do you actually feel it should be legal or not? And everybody mm. was able to give that vote. And I guess the end result was, you know, it's not legal.
1: Yeah, but it didn't go through no, it didn't go
0: end. through. So I actually wanted to ask you, Jim, like... What's your thoughts? You know, what's your opinion? Did you know? Even mm. ask, what did you vote for? Did you say yes or no? <clears throat> I, I went
1: for yes. I went for yes. Um, for for a couple of reasons. Um, I think if just to go back to the actual voting thing, it, it wasn't. Correct me if I'm wrong, because this is. I mean, mind you, it was, it was just last year, wasn't it? But it was more. It was more like a referendum, right? We were putting it to a vote to see if it was going to be. Put forward to be legalized, if I'm correct, mm. as opposed to just voting. And if it was a yes, then it would be legalized right there on the spot. Um, but I went with yes. I think if we look at the war on drugs, as everyone likes to call it, um, me personally, as anecdotal as this is, and I know I use a lot of anecdotal examples, but I haven't really seen a lot of improvement out in the streets of of the areas that we work in um, in terms of substances. You know. I think the people that we work with, one of their biggest vices is drug use, and it's never been as easy to get drugs these days as it was prior to that, you know, so I think it's, I think one of the reasons is the government hasn't all actually any service that I can see at the moment has not really been as impactful in managing or stemming the flow of of substances in the community that's one the other one is if we had to look at cannabis in particular I was in two minds about it you know one of it is you know I do feel concerned about our our group of people that we treat right we're, we're talking about people with mental health serious mental health diagnoses and the impact cannabis can have on them, you know, and you don't have to go far into your research to see that it has quite serious negative impacts on people who have, for example, schizophrenia or bipolar and, and causing them to to relapse is quite a is quite a prominent thing. And drugs is quite involved in all of that on this on the other side of things, you know, for your everyday use and uh, for your everyday person, that is, I, you know is cannabis the worst thing that we have out there? You know, um, not to mention all the people, you know, who, who are getting in trouble with the police for having cannabis. And I don't, I don't know. There's, there's two sides to that story. You know, there's one side where we have not as much people as we'd like to think being arrested for cannabis possession. Um, but I didn't think the actual cannabis in itself was as harmful as, as people put it forward to be. I mean, like I said, I'm not a big user myself. I'm not really heavily involved in that area, but I think weighing up bo- both sides, the freedoms and choices part to me was a bigger pull, you know that having the choice to sort of use and not. and you know we have much more harmful stuff that's already legal at the moment. you know I don't know if you can use alcohol as a, as, as a fair as a fair uh, what you call as a fair comparison. Um, but, you know, I, I would argue, at least, if we were comparing the two, alcohol has probably caused a lot more damage to our community than cannabis has, you know. And, and alcohol is legal, you know, highly regulated. You know, I don't see a reason why we can possibly do that. So I went with yes, you know. I mean, for for for, <laughs> for good or bad, I, I, I kind of pushed that side.
0: Because it's interesting. Did you, did you vote for it in the end? I did. But it's interesting, Gio, because, you know, as you just said, you don't actually use cannabis, you know, regularly or anything and you know but still you you gave a yes at all not yet no. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't use cannabis but yet you still voted yes for it mm. um Joe I actually voted no in the end um you bastard <laughs> so I'm very sure a lot of people who listen to the podcast and a lot of my friends and family would actually you know like what you know you voted no it, it actually came down to a personal viewpoint on, on my answer mm. I guess initially I was frustrated that it was such an open ended question do you feel you know cannabis should be legalized in New Zealand you know mm. personally I agree Giovanni like people for example who have cannabis in their position especially a small amount I don't think they should be charged you know and get criminal convictions mm. and things for that um, do I think people should be able to sell cannabis uh, you know there I, I think it should be illegal to do that but in saying that giovanni Mm. i thought of a different things i actually spoke to a few friends i spoke to a few family members i actually spoke to a lot of the people we work with and then just to kind of get a feel of it you know what's the general kind of um sense of you know of the people a lot of to be honest a lot of people afford it you know um, especially Mm. saying that the health benefits of cannabis you know not just helping to take the edge of things and help you relax, but also saying some people use it for pain, for example, some Mm. people help for anxieties, all those kind of things. Um, so I do acknowledge that. Um, and I also actually considered how would it affect New Zealand's, I would say economy and culture, you know, so, Mm. you know, with, you know, me walking down the street and going to a little shop and sitting, drinking my coffee, um, Mm. perhaps smoking a joint, you know, um, Mm. Where in other countries, it's illegal to do that. And I had to th- think... It's,
1: it's not just legal. It's, it's, normalized. it's normalized. You know, just like alcohol is. Like, you could go down to a bar any time of the day, right? You can go down and then just pop out, have a beer. No one will really blink an eye. Maybe someone will if it's like 10 a.m. in the morning and you're outside having a beer. You know, me, You know, the, the social norms will probably, be, probably sort of come down on you pretty hard. But, you know, n- no one really bats an eye when you're sort of going there. And then you look at places like um, where it is legal, like Amsterdam. You know, for them, it's quite a normal day-to-day thing, and and they've kind of used it. uh, They've kind Mm -hmm. of implemented into their day-to-day life. You know, I I think I was having a conversation. This this is at the heat of it all, right? This is when everyone was talking about the cannabis referendum. You know, what what's your opinion? And uh, I believe I was talking to an actual. Uh, person i'm not going to name it but he he works for dual diagnosis which is a drug and alcohol service here in new zealand and you know he 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 mentioned a, a pretty interesting statistic that you look at places like like amsterdam and you look at the 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 amount of people who actually use the use cannabis and the majority of it is the tourists the actual locals who live there is actually quite a medium reasonable number you know so because it's quite normalized it's not like you know there's something about being of it being on the black market and things like that i don't know whether it's like um, cool or you know or people like doing stuff i don't know i don't know you know there's something where it kind of makes you want to use it more but if it's quite regularly accessible you know maybe there's kind of like a mind trick to it and then people just aren't really pursuing it as much knowing that they can get it at any time mm-hmm. Um, but but that but that surprised me, you know, because I thought it would have been the flip side. I would have been think I would have thought, you know, in a place where it's legalized, I would imagine that the population that live there, majority of them would be using it. But but that's not the case, you know. So that that was a very interesting conversation I had with them.
0: And and something I also kind of was thinking. So I spoke to a few people, you know, as service users, um, who has you know, first hand experience around cannabis use, and you know, s- some of the people, you know, basically said that it, it adds to an element of paranoia. So they've noticed that when they do smoke cannabis, you know, they become a bit paranoid and stuff. Um, and I also sometimes wonder, let's say, for example, if you do have an access one diagnosis, let's say you, you are, you know, let's say you have a diagnosis of a schizophrenia, bipolar, affective disorder. I sometimes wonder whether the use of cannabis Exacerbates some of the symptoms or whether it has the opposite it kind of not mask symptoms but kind of help you cope more with some of the symptoms mm-hmm. you know like
1: it definitely uh, th- there's plenty of research to sort of uh show that it does increase you know people's psychosis you know especially if you have a bona fide diagnosis of, of psychosis like schizophrenia you know schizoaffective Cann- cannabis can help trigger a lot of that psychotic stuff, even when you're on treatment, you know, so it, it, it definitely does that. But I think on the other side is wh- whether it's a amount, whether it's related to the amount or what they're using or how often they're using. But a lot of them do report a lot of improvement in their anxiety, improvement in their sleep, you know, so there, there is there's obvious benefits to having cannabis. You know cbd oil and and all the different variants that that cannabis comes in there's obviously beneficial um aspects to it um it's finding that balance i think like like most things in 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 life you have to find the 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 correct balance you know you can't just say oh no this is all good we can use all this or the other um but one of the bigger things that actually pushed for me to say yes was uh, i believe especially here in new zealand that we can't do a lot of cannabis research because of of how illegal it is so legalizing it will actually open up more avenues for people to do more research and actually give us more concrete uh evidence to see you know how cannabis can be used on a day-to-day you know on a, in, a, in our day-to-day lives mm. you know so i think that was another one that really pushed me to say yes obviously it was all for naught because it <laughs> it didn't go through in the end but but it was it sparked up a lot of conversation and a lot of debates you know um and i think there's a possibility it it may be they may try pursue it again Mm. you know who knows
0: and you like you know a few things also like i guess in the end the reason i voted no is i i kind of considered some of the people i've met you know especially on my caseload or caseloads i've been supporting and just you know what i've seen you know um the presentation i guess or how cannabis affects that person you know it doesn't just um you know I do acknowledge some good properties like, you know, might help with, you know, as I mentioned, anxiety or pain and those kind of things. Um, mm. But I've also noticed some concerning things like it, it heavily impacted on, on motivation. Um, it kind of impacted, I guess, you know, the concentration, memory, but even the will to do things. Mm. And, you know, then there's that element of, you know, possibly exacerbating things like paranoia and, and so forth. And I guess I didn't like what I see, saw, you know, so I didn't like how, you know, it affected people. But at the mm. same time, I wasn't sure it's, if it's because they're abusing it, you know, like, are they just smoking it, you know, like, so bad and that, you, you know, nothing of, of a good thing is, you, or too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Um, True. Yeah, so I guess that's why I ended up uh, voting no. Yeah, but
1: because the population we're talking about, it, it, it's a small percentage, right, of the entirety of the population, right? So in this concentrated group of people, I can almost guarantee that the negative impacts of cannabis will be quite high for this particular group of people. But, you know, as a whole, it, it falls into a very small category. You know what I mean? So if we are talking about our, our clientele in particular, we do talk about the, the negative impacts of cannabis on, on their mental health. You know, And if we look at all the clients that we've managed in the past who've had relapses, you can almost guarantee that one or two things has been a part of it. One or three things, you know, there's either been alcohol involved or drugs being it cannabis um, or, or meth, but mostly cannabis because cannabis um, seems to be the topic of our discussion today um but yeah is it is it enough though and and so this is the question i have for you is it enough to sort of say as a whole there's not a lot of negative impact for people if anything it caused people to be more creative more calm or you know anxiety drops but then this small group of our population more relapses happen you know kind of similar to when um, they legalized um uh, not cannabis but they legalized Uh, Synthetic cannabis You know That time of our You know Of our work Was Mm. was quite hectic Mm. You know And and we're still feeling The effects of um, Synthetic cannabis now You know So I mean Is it enough to say Like because the Small group population Are vulnerable to Negative effects of Of cannabis Should we then say Okay No one else can have it
0: I guess there was Other So I guess It's also important To point out I do acknowledge Cannabis does have Kind of health benefits To it you know and that's why i think you know these now uh, companies um that kind of you know it's it's around um medicalized cannabis you know so they're uh, they mm-hmm. are providing you know i guess cannabis in the form mm-hmm. uh, you know of let's say tablets or whatever um mm-hmm. so that people can <laughs> take it um for things like you know pain and yeah. anxiety and stuff but it doesn't have that kind of um,
1: yeah, it, it's when they extract, you know, the, um, I believe it's the CBD aspect of it all, which, the, which, you know, some, I'm sure someone's going to correct me, um, which I don't think is psychoactive, mm-hmm. but it does help with things like seizure, anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, pain, I think you, especially um, neuro pain, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and things mm-hmm. like that you know they're, they're even looking at you know using certain substances and i think cannabis falls into that as a as working into helping with therapy mm-hmm. you know to help with the um the experienced trauma and being able to deal with that a lot more better you know mm-hmm. while you're using cannabis but you know i mean um th- there is a lot of positive mm-hmm. stuff that can come from it too and, you know i think it's, it's just a it's, it's a difficult one because it's there's, there's no no, nothing is 100% on either side, right? You can find good good aspects on one side and you can find negative aspects on the other. And then it's just weighing that up and see, you know, which which part the the country is willing to sort of follow.
0: And something I was also kind of, I guess, um, you know, uh, we often, you know, with some of the people we work with, there's a lot of gang affiliation in there or I also find there's some, a group of people that, um, you know, for example, doesn't have houses, living rough on the streets, mm. struggling day to day, um and i find sometimes the gang exploits them a little bit you know kind of um because they are vulnerable and then they end up uh, using Mm. a big part of their benefit to purchase for example Mm. cannabis or other uh substances
1: and then i guess legalizing it will be one way of sort of stemming that wouldn't it Mm. because at the moment the gangs do hold the majority of, of all all of the the illegal selling of of cannabis, right? And they will target vulnerable people to purchase it. So if you made it legal and say you could go down to, I I don't know how it would work, right? I, I can't remember what the exact structure that they were proposing on how to sort of get cannabis out there, whether it's a vending machine or some shit like that. But, you know, if you take the power out of their hands, you know, would that improve or sort of take power away from the gangs? I don't know possibly but gangs always find a way to always find a way to sort of um find new you know um new revenue streams so you know close one door open another as they (laughs) as they say because
0: i was actually wondering (laughs) if it would have a a, a bit of an opposite effect here because let's say for example you are allowed to grow cannabis as much as you can for Mm -hmm. example and sell as much as you can i'm very Mm. sure gangs would probably um you know take that to that advantage and you know grow and sell um Mm. cannabis but you wouldn't
1: be i I, that's the one thing i do remember is that you weren't you are allowed to grow but there's only a certain amount and only for personal Mm. use again comparing it to alcohol there's there's no one stopping you from brewing something in your Mm. in your backyard or in, in your garage you know i know a lot of people that brew their own alcohol and stuff You know, but there's doesn't seem to be a lot of there doesn't seem to be a lot of black market selling of alcohol though, is there? Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't know. The gang thing is is complicated because you know, like I said, you you legalize one drug, they'll just probably pour all their resources into another. We probably see more production of methamphetamine, you know, flooding the streets instead. You know, so yeah.
0: Do so. I guess you know. Personally, I think if a person grows cannabis in the backyard for personal use, I th- actually, you know, I'm all for it. I think if people, for example, whether it's, you know, growth in your own backyard or purchase it, you know, um, mm. l- purchase it legally, let's say, um, for medical use, you know, whether it's for anxieties and things, I think th- that's great. Even the fact that, um, you know, walking down the street to a local coffee shop and stuff, having some, you know, hash hashies, you know those cookies and stuff Mm -hmm. made of cannabis i guess um at that point new zealand had to kind of say whether it you know is that part of the culture they see you know or you know
1: i would argue it is i would argue it is i would argue that it would be hard to find anyone under the age of 30 now that hasn't partake or is continually partaking in cannabis use on a weekly basis I could even stretch that out to maybe people under the age of 45. There may be a large percentage of people that are using uh, cannabis on, on, a, on a casual basis. So I, I think it is part of the culture. It's just that it's it's hidden underneath our cultural norms because it's illegal. My suspicion would be that if it's legalized, you, all the people that you probably thought in the past, oh, I don't believe this guy had ever smoke cannabis. He's a bloody pothead himself, you know. So I, I think, yeah, I think because it's illegal, it, it's, it's it's hidden unless you're sort of a part of that world. And I only know this because I know lots of people who use, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and, and I guess that's the thing, Gio, if, if people, for example, use, uh, let's say, regularly, but uh, by what I call responsible use, you know, so it just takes the edge of mm. things and stuff, but it doesn't actually, you know, cause you to be heavily intoxicated. I guess mm. there was something else I also kind of wanted to add to that is uh, one of the other things I thought of is, uh, you know, with alcohol, for example, you can test it. You can say, OK, you're, you're not allowed to drive, you know, if you mm. have a specific amount of alcohol, let's say, in your system uh, because, of, I guess, intoxication and things. And the other question is it would be very hard to regulate, you know, h- when did somebody smoke cannabis, how often they smoke, mm. what amount, especially if They are, let's say, for example, um, in areas, let's say, for example, driving trucks or driving buses or, you know, flying aircrafts, um, even things like doctors, even to the nursing, you know, um, platforms. So Mm. are you actually speaking to somebody who's heavily influenced at that moment or not? Mm. And how do you regulate that? That's also some of the the things I thought of, you know um <laughs> that's a fair question So i'm not sure what your thoughts are on that one <laughs>
1: um it, it's like i said it, it is a fair question because i'm not completely sure what kind of testing regimes are available for 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 cannabis users right i think if i'm gonna put an assumption out there that we do have uh, effective testing um strategies where we can test like alcohol right you breathe into something we can sort of measure the level and i think we treat it like alcohol right you measure the certain level and you know um if you hit that level then that's illegal you can't drive you can't do this you can't do that um and and we kind of work it from there you know i mean we've managed to to socially uh, ostracize people who show up to work drunk who are stumbling around on the streets you know wasted you know and society has seemed uh, not so much I, I wouldn't say so much you know police but society has in in a big part kind of regulated that for ourselves right it's it's not normal for someone to come into work wasted you know and if you do come in wasted that's not going to last long you know and i think this i think we could possibly get to a similar stage with cannabis i think we can find a, a, that sweet spot you know where people can use but you probably aren't able to use on an an x amount of days prior to work you know or uh, but i don't know that that comes down to the testing and and like i said i think it's it's deserving of more research Mm -hmm. you know and and the effects that it can have um on our day-to-day lives Mm -hmm. i'm sure there's research in other countries that people can rely on but i think like new zealand in particular i think if we were to legalize it it would be a benefit to sort of start studying this fully and putting money behind it Mm -hmm. You know, because if you look at places like California and the amount of money that they're making from cannabis and taxes, it's, it's 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 huge. You know, I think Texas as well has legalized cannabis as well. And they're raking in a lot of money for taxing cannabis, mm-hmm. you know, so there is an economic benefit to it, too.
0: Mm-hmm. You uh, know, so and I think that's true, Gio. So I guess um having the ability to do more research in, in in you know the use of cannabis you know especially around the health properties of it um mm. and then i guess also you know you're up, um creating jobs and stuff you know in that area um mm. yeah
1: S- yeah i don't know yep. if, if you had to redo it again say they came up with another uh referendum for cannabis and we had this discussion just today, and tomorrow they're gonna they're, they announce that we're bringing up another referendum for legalization of cannabis. Would you vote yes or no still?
0: Giovanni, um, I'll answer that in one second. I actually found that question very frustrating because it was mm. one uh, one question, and I had to you know because it's one such a broad question. I said no, so yes, it is. So, it is. So I would vote it no again. Okay. If they ask me, you know should it be legalized for medical use I would say yes if they ask me should a person mm. who smokes cannabis uh, or who grows his own cannabis in his backyard and smoke it for recreational use should he be for example um you should that be legalized I think it sh- it's okay if if a person for example has cannabis on him would mm. that be acceptable you know i don't think that person should be charged for example you know it's like if you mm-hmm. have alcohol on you the police just say tip it out you know or throw oh. it away or whatever um still within the regulation so instead of you know what defines you know pl- a backyard kind of stash for your s- own personal use versus a crop field full. um yeah so if you ask me for example should a person you know, whether it's a gang member or just a random person, be able to sell it. I don't. I don't think they should be able to sell it. So, I, I still think that it should be illegal. It should be moved through. dare I say corporate companies market. or something? You know? <laughs> through the
1: market. Uh, so, so explain to me then why would you still vote no if what you're saying, just just correct me if I'm wrong. So, so what you're saying is basically you don't mind people growing it for their own personal use. There's definite medical use for cannabis and you'd like that to continue, which it does. So we'll clarify that there is access to medical marijuana and CBD oil here in New Zealand. It's just very, very hard for people to get it. And it's very expensive. So really, it, it's not um, there's plenty of barriers of people getting it. So there's that you, you want to take the power out of the gang members hands and you want it to be regulated. But you still vote no. Because I, in my opinion, I feel like if it was voted yes and it came through, that a majority—not all—obviously, nothing's perfect, but a majority of these things would be um, accounted for. So, so I'm just trying to. am maybe I'm just I know, a bit confused. No, I'm but glad maybe actually, you can explain. So, so why? So why would you still say no then?
0: I'm glad you actually asked you. So, um, so this is something I was thinking. So, I actually think it would empower gangs a lot more. I think it would give them. Um, the ability to grow very quickly, you know, recruit very quickly and have a bigger, much bigger kind of because suddenly you've gotten, they've got a revenue. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess the there's another part of it is, you know, I'm not sure, for example, if, you know, and this is, 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 is more me not, not being sure is, you know, if it's legalized, let's say people can, for example, smoke it at coffee shops. and you know, mm. wherever they can purchase. it, let's say from like designated
1: the, areas. Eh? Yeah.
0: Let's say people do that, you know, for example, am I going to have my colleagues, let's say, for example, doctors, you know, in mm. lunch break, smoking it and then coming back high. Or let's say, for example, truck drivers, bus drivers, air, you know, air pilots, you know, within the everyday workforce, you know, um, would that possibly increase um, the use mm. of, of cannabis and so that's one of the things so i guess there's a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. around that mm. yeah. so,
1: so your concern is around the, the the intoxication of when people use and then coming back to their jobs uh, uh, what makes you think they're not doing that now <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, one my argu- that's, that's one of my arguments to you but i guess <laughs> the other side of it is a, again whether it's a fair comparison or not i, I believe that the social obligations and social norms will help regulate that on its own i mean a lot of let's stick with healthcare professionals right anyone who comes into work drunk there is no way that's going to be accepted you know and your job's on the line you know people can you know you, you can become unemployed if you showed up to work drunk that's very unprofessional and i think that stems across a whole bunch of different areas i think that a, the market will be able to sort of regulate the, the, the illegal side of things, and I think having designated areas where you can use it will be actually a benefit for a lot of people as supposed to a negative, and I think... I think people have a lot more common sense than that. Mind you, it's not like alcohol, right? Cannabis is not like alcohol where you get withdrawals and you must have a drink and, and things like that. So I don't think it would increase. I think social use would increase. So you'd, you'd, you'd probably smell a lot of cannabis on a Friday night, you know, more so than we already do now, if it was ever to become legal. But that's within the confines of people's homes, right? I think with all the money that, that, that the government could... Get from taxes from from cannabis they could use that to invest in in more drug and alcohol supports you know um probably increase the amount of drug and alcohol clinicians which is desperately needed here in new zealand you know there's a lot of ways that they can actually use that money to benefit and sort of actually um far reach uh different aspects that's more than just cannabis you know so i i think if i had to weigh it up and like i said and like we both said at the beginning of this conversation there's no correct answer i don't think you, you can be 100 percent on either side but i think if i had to think about it deeply and weigh up my options i would still be on the yes side because i think there's a lot more good we can do legalizing mm-hmm. cannabis as opposed to what we're doing now which is jack shit really you know what I mean?
0: Something else I was thinking is because, I guess, um, me being South Africa, I've got lots of experience around the New Zealand culture. <laughs> mm. well, you have a different perspective, But a little bit of human. But I was actually wondering, because in New Zealand, you know, they are going and pushing really hard for, I guess, the, you know, the ban of smoking, tobacco sales and stuff. And each year more and more and more incentives come in place, you know, making it harder Mm. and harder for uh, people, for example, to advertise cigarettes and to purchase cigarettes. And I guess all the fun is taken away. So even the packages and stuff, you know, with the brand names and stuff, you know, gets changed or eliminated. And, you know, and um, something that actually stood out to me is the with some, uh, let's say, for example, businesses, let's say, that specialized, let let's say, in cigars, you know, so you come to the bar, you smoke a cigar, you have a drink, so it's a cigar bar, you know, even at those places it was made illegal to smoke cigars, you know, so what's the point in the business, I guess? Um, (laughs) So I was actually very curious to see the end result, you know, what would the majority of of New Zealanders do? Are they going to vote yes for the legalisation or no? Um, because mm. it actually impacts the smoke, the tobacco cells in a way. You know, if if a person is smoking tobacco, I guess it's more likely. Can I say it? It's more likely they'll be able to to smoke weed um, mm. versus somebody who doesn't smoke tobacco. You know, would they actually smoke weed? You, you, it's you never know. I guess it's up to the individual. Like, uh, it's a fair point. I guess
1: it it highly depends on the environment you grow up in. I think whether you're more prone to actually engage in these kind of activities. I mean, like I said, I think it it, it really depends. It, it is funny, though. I, I agree. It is funny that we are pushing for uh, that, that during that time, during the, the cannabis referendum, that they were pushing for a smoke-free New Zealand. And at the same time, similar parties were pushing for legalizing cannabis. So, you know, it kind of didn't fall, into, fall correctly into that category. And it kind of m- made zero sense you know you can't smoke uh cigarettes but you can smoke cannabis you know so i don't know how that fell into their uh their planning for the future but but you know i think it's i don't think the, the conversation is done i think they will revisit it again i think everyone's just caught up with covid and everything else that you know it's probably not a major priority right now but i think once everything comes down and the world slowly comes back to what we i guess agree is normal you know i reckon that, that conversation will come back again
0: mm. and you know, something i was also thinking you know kind of because in my family my both my parents smoked you know since their teenage years i would say mm. and i grew up you know in south africa with my parents you know smoking you know in the house you know it was very mm. normalized you know so even today if somebody smokes around me i, d- I don't you know it, it's it's normal for me i guess mm. um and what i've you know what i would say is that if you grow up in a household where people for example smokes tobacco um the likeliness of the children for example is very high or is higher on average mm. also to smoke um so like my younger brother also smokes and stuff i i never mm. actually did i i do like a cigarette here and there but i'm not a chronic smoker um because i don't know why you know what happened there but so what i was thinking is let's say for example people you know in the household people use cannabis on a regular basis um Mm. and or stone and stuff you know i don't know whether it it impacts on parenting and those kind of things i guess it's up to the family and how much they use but i guess then you have the younger generation coming through um and it gets normalized you know and they are more Mm. susceptible to use it themselves Um, So you, that's why I say Mm -hmm. it influences the New Zealand culture, you know, not necessarily the Maori culture, not necessarily Mm -hmm. all cultures, you know, whether it's, you know, the Pacific Mm -hmm. community or South African communities. And I don't know personally whether cannabis is, is, um, how can I honestly say it? It's as wonderful as people would say, for example, like whether it should be part of your culture, part of your, you know, families, whether or whether it should just be used in a responsible way, for example, if you, for example, are in pain, um, or if you have anxieties, you know, which you can get, let's say, GP prescriptions and those kind of things. Um, and you can even use it, you know, creatively in end-of-life care and hospitality, not hospitality, in, yeah. in those kind of settings. Hospitality. Well, yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, so that's all the things I was thinking of at the time, Gio, and, mm. you know that's why i kind of still ended up with the no answer even though Mm. i still feel people shouldn't be prosecuted if they have a a joint in their Mm. pocket you know so it's a unnecessary waste of everyone's time and unnecessary distress on everyone yeah no that's
1: fair and i guess we can we can both agree that you know regardless of which side you're sitting on cannabis should not be used by kids you know i mean because there's a lot of um, development that still hasn't sort of happened for children and You know, if you're smoking cannabis, that can drastically change that. So there is that danger there, too, that we have to acknowledge as well. You know, is that you're right. It it could have a drastic change in our society and our social norms. We've said social norms quite a few times so far. Um, But I think it it may be for the good, possibly for the good, you know. So I want to also, because we're kind of on the topic of sort of like cannabis and we've talked about legislation and stuff like that. I wanted to talk to you about... um, the Mental Health Act, which is a big as document that sort of dictates a lot of the work that we do. And and just for people, um, I'll just pull it up here. And so basically what the Mental Health Act, which is, it's a compulsory, compulsory assessment and treatment act of 1992. God, that just brings you back to nursing school, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> um, and it is and the Mental Health Act provides a legal framework for those who require compulsory psychiatric assessment and treatment for people experiencing a mental illness. So that is kind of like a a very brief description of what the Mental Health Act is, I mean people can look it up, it's, it's on the internet, you can, you can find out what it actually is, you can actually go through the different steps of the Mental Health Act to better understand it. But I want to talk about the Mental Health Act in terms of um, actually implementing it, because me and you implement the Mental Health Act quite often and we use it on almost a day-to-day basis and it dictates like i said earlier how we how we work when you first so the, my question my first question to you would be when you first learned about the mental health act did you have any sort of like uh, holy shit kind of moments or like what the hell is this did you have any sort of thoughts like that
0: um yeah, because it came because uh... I I actually wanted to also say that the the Mental Health Act is very complex. And, you know, even though Mm. I've practiced now eight years in nursing, I'm still learning about the Mental Health Act and all the different kind of legislation, you know. So it's quite a complex piece of work, I would say. Definitely. The first time I ever heard of it, I actually thought it was cool, dare I say. Um, Especially when I heard the term a duly authorized officer, which basically, you know, to me, it kind of, you know... um, you know, where so what a duly authorised officer is somebody who, for example, uh, gets a bit more training around the Mental Health Act and is able to kind of use mm. specific sections, uh, requesting yep. police support, or for example, um, you know, having to ensure that your informed consent and your human rights are met, um, mm-hmm. and you know, making sure that, um, I guess, the outcome—the is... patient is safe, yeah,
1: right? Because, because a bit of a history lesson that the. the duly authorized officer that role was developed after a serious incident happened where a client i believe is a male client who was going to be admitted to an institution because he was quite unwell um unfortunately passed away in police custody so the duly authorized officer role which is mostly done by nurses but there is social workers and rts that do also um, work in this capacity they were developed to actually be support and protectors of clients were to make sure that their rights are being upheld that the police are doing their jobs properly and also to direct the police the the, the deo in short is has quite a lot of serious power when implementing the mental health act and the reason they wield their power is to make sure that their there's their main goal their overarching goal is to ensure safety for the client so it's a big role to have
0: yeah and I guess you know so initially it was cool you know hearing about the mental health act and how n- uh, mental health nurses kind of work with it on a regular basis and you know f- uh, the different pathways like the daos and things but then in time i kind of realized how it gets implemented and you kind of start getting you know experience around how it affects individuals and families and yourself and um. I don't actually think it's that cool anymore you know um in the sense of you know (laughs) if i have to put myself in a person's uh you know shoes you know being served with the mental health act you know it's a scary process you know kind of you're not even sure what that is you know and suddenly Mm. you know a medication might be forced on your treatment might be forced on you might be instead of going to work you know instead of going home suddenly you end up in hospital and you feel very powerless i guess um so yeah so i I noticed that Mm. the meta health act you know even though it's used for i guess for the bigger good it it can be life affecting and a lot of people actually get quite traumatized through it
1: well it makes sense i mean essentially in a very crude sort of way, you're taking a person's rights to make cons- uh, to um, make consent, you know, to treatment and to um, an admission to hospital. But on on the flip side of the of that coin is that it, we do the assessment and we kind of come to an understanding that this particular person does not have the current capacity to make these decisions because they've had a, a relapse in their mental state. So the, the part that I forgot to actually mention in the mental health act, which is a very important aspect, is that the only, pr- the only way you can use the mental health act is if the person has a mental disorder. So th- th- there's a couple of parts to this. So the, a mental disorder um, is defined as in relation to any person means an abnormal state of mind, whether of a continuous or an intermittent nature characterized by delusions or by disorders of mood or perception or relation or cognition of such a degree that it, and this is the two important parts. So these are the two limbs of the mental health act that you must meet for it to be legally implemented is that a, you pose a serious danger to the health and safety of that person or others, or you're, you you seriously have diminished capacity of that person to take care of himself, him or herself, and the other bit to that is also, um. No, no, I, I, that that's that's the main bit, right? So so, it's it's a lot of, it's a lot of assessments and a lot of work, and and actually the implementation of it is a very traumatic experience because it usually involves police, right? Um, the amount of times that I've been involved in in. Implementing this is is not as much as people would think, but enough to have a very good understanding on the negative impacts it has on people. You can see why certain people hate mental health services and absolutely hate what we try to do because of this particular aspect of our care, which is essentially forcing people to take um, antipsychotic medication. You know, Which is kind of funny because we talked about mandating vaccines before <laughs> and then now we actually enforce treatment through the Mental Health Act, um, which I think I think can be argued in, in two different ways, but we'll focus on the Mental Health Act in this one. And I think at the beginning when I first learned about it in, in nursing school, I didn't really understand it. I didn't really understand what it was about until I actually started working in in psychiatry and watching it being implemented firsthand um and and i'm in two minds about it one i think it's necessary for one as surprising as that may be to a lot of people i think it it is necessary there's a lot of people out there that are very risky to themselves and to others and unfortunately because of their mental illness cannot make informed decisions or, or provide informed consent therefore we need to sort of Treat them to a stage where we can get them back to what we can sense as normal, and then they can start taking that care. You know, start start regaining that independence to care for themselves. I think the issue with that is it, it's sometimes very hard to determine what our level of response is for certain clients. You know, there's certain people that we jump up and down, and we have to put the mental health act in and, and get in there. And other people were quite um, were quite flexible with them. So the other part of that is I don't think it's healthy to have someone on the mental health act long term. And there's a lot of movement for people to sort of, you know, people who've been on the mental health act for years. And people do stay on the mental health act for years of, of trying to get them off it, you know. I mean, we work from a recovery uh, recovery standpoint, right? So it's it's working as much mm-hmm. as possible to get. Allow the client to become more independent and actually make decisions and choices for themselves, whether they're wrong or right. But it's giving them, it's empowering them to do that, and the Mental Health Act kind of doesn't do that for you, you know. See, not to mention you have to go to court all the time (laughs) and present clients. So
0: see, and this is what makes it hard to you because, so at the moment, I agree completely. I. I personally think the the Mental Health Act shouldn't necessarily be used long long term. I guess there's individual cases, here, sure. And there's a few names that even comes to mind. But I think in the majority of, of, of times it should only be used short term and I guess in short term in the sense of um, helping that person out of a you know, a state of high distress and risk, uh, getting them back to a to their unusual self with what mm. the, you know interventions with you know medication you know whatever that might mean um, and then basically through education and supports promote independence and well-being i guess um so that's what i'm actively doing is i'm, I'm actively practicing to see if we can use medication or the mental health like more short term rather than long term mm. and seeing how can i support that person to get off the act and regain that independence and re- um you know, mm. uh, informed consent and, and become independent in their own treatment, independent in uh, their uh, you know, like um, you in their own lives
1: and it is, a like you like you said, it's a very complicated document some cases you kind of look at it and think this is a very straightforward case and then you know, someone else comes and has a look and has a second opinion and completely contradicts what you think and then you kind of question, okay, what, what the fuck is happening now, you know I think it's a good thing that, that there's a lot of checks and balances within the act, you know. I mean, when you get started on the act, you need to be assessed by a, by a doctor. And if that doctor thinks you, you need to be on the act, another doctor comes and assess you to make sure that they agree with the first opinion of the doctor. You know, two weeks later, another doctor will come and assess you to make sure that that's still correct and, and you do meet the threshold of the act. And then even after that, you have you have to go to uh, – it gets reviewed by a judge – you know an independent judge and they make sure that everything is you know on the up and up and everyone is following the law as it's sort of intended to so i think all our checks and balances are there i think it's just that sometimes as as clinicians we're very we're very quick to implement the mental health act and and it's complicated right because i cuz it's it's not as simple as oh should we use the act or not we work a majority of our decisions are based on safety you know as much as we like to try to implement it holistically at the end of the day safety for us is key you know new zealand does have the highest rates of suicide we've got a lot of people who do pass away in our services unfortunately um, so this dictates a lot of the work that we do and sometimes as much as we'd like to, as much as we like i don't know if this is a controversial thing to say but, you know, as much as we try our best to work with clients and give them that control back in their lives, I feel like there are times we don't feel comfortable doing that because of some of the risks that are involved. You know, and, and that's, that's a hard thing that, that I find working, working in this job is that finding that fine balance of we're maintaining this person's safety, but we've taken all of all decisions away from him. As opposed to working in the recovery aspect um which everyone is pushing that that's kind of our main sort of framework is actually giving them that that um giving them that control and that their independence back and also knowing that their risk could en- you know that the risks are there so it's a hard thing to balance up you know at the end of the day
0: mm-hmm. and yeah i guess it's also important to point out that the Mental Health Act, it, I see it as a binding contract because it binds both, po- both parties. It, it, it basically mm. binds the service user or the client, you know, in the fact that they have to engage in service delivery that we provide. So they have to see, for example, me on a regular basis. They have to see the doctor on a regular basis and take medication as prescribed. But at the same mm. time, it also binds the service. It binds me, it binds the doctor and um, the other clinicians we have to provide service. You know, we are mm. legally obliged to see that person regularly, provide appropriate medications, um, whether you want to or not. And mm-hmm. what for me, why that is important is if if I get a referral, for example, onto my caseload and the person is voluntary, it basically puts me in a position to say, hi, this is me, this is what I have to offer, I can help you with this and this and this, and that can be employment, it can be accommodation, um, It can be reconnecting with family, Fano, you know, you name it. Um, So there's a lot of resources that I can provide. I can even help you understand your diagnosis, what medications, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And then the person has the ability to say, yes, yeah, you know, I would like help with this and this and this and, you know, and so I'm able to provide that support with recovery and things, connect them up. At the same time, the person can actually say, hey, I actually don't need your service. I don't want to see you and I can f- provide a bit more encouragement, but then I can discharge, you know, um, if that person doesn't need our services. Mm. Mental Health Act actually, you know, prevents that. So if that if I come there and I have all these things to offer and I'm able to help and the person is on the mental Health Act, I can still do that. But the person, if he says no, I still have to see that person regularly i still have to provide that element of support so you get in this awkward phase where i can't discharge the person um Mm. i have to see this person um who doesn't necessarily want to have our service or involved in his life or want to see Mm. me you know so it it puts you in a very stressful awkward position Mm -hmm. um and then having to go from there
1: no i i find it hard i i find it hard finding finding that middle ground where certain aspects i i see the need for the mental health act you know at a minimum to to encourage engagement um but at the same time one of my most uh best fulfilling cases has been working with someone who's been informal you know who's not been under the mental health Act because they we we both uh, we both came to an understanding and an agreement that this is what was helpful so we kind of pursued it that way it's hard to do that under the mental health act from from personal experience because the client will always feel like they have no choice. And to a certain degree they don't. Under the Mental Health Act, they accept treatments or not. And and we do have the right to recall them back to hospital under a twenty nine three A. You know? So so it, it it's if we're trying to build rapport and, and work in a recovery standpoint, the mental health act makes that very difficult. Now this is not to minimize the importance of the act i think it is important that we need it for certain aspects of clients or certain periods of their relapse for example that they need immediate intense interventions right then and now um without their consent because of the risk that they pose to themselves and to others um because they they're not make they're not in sound they're not of sound mind you know so I, i do acknowledge the importance of that but i think on on sort of on on the same topic the mental health that can be a very um it can be a double-edged sword at times and and i'll and i'll share the story about a about a client that i worked with for up to two years really nice guy um worked with him on and off the mental health act he had he had a diagnosis of bipolar and relapsed quite frequently quite frequently relapsed and um was you know relapsed between here and the, and the Waikato and so he was sort of quite accustomed to both the impatience in, in both counties um, we, we me and him worked closely together for two years where we treated him informally we only used the mental effect to admit him but when he came out we would work our best to sort of get into a stage where he would be informal and make these decisions He relapsed quite a few times, but there was a significant amount of those years, those two years, where he was quite well and doing what he needed to do. This is an unfortunate story because it it turns dark very quickly, so just brace yourselves, everyone. Um, Eventually, um, he had another relapse and decided he wanted a change of key worker. Um, So the key worker was changed and the doctor was changed and... Shortly after that, he had another relapse, and basically, they they worked it out that he was going to be on the mental effect for a significant amount of time, um and he was going to be on an injectable treatment. Just because sometimes when people on orals, and they're, they, we we want to ensure that their their treatment is is consistent. We we kind of move towards an injectable form of treatment. So, after that was done, um, and he was told. Uh, he was told that on the ward and he um, at that admission he had tried to end his life earlier was unsuccessful and he was in hospital so he was in hospital for about three weeks and this plan was discussed with him and he was agreeable to all that so he sat there in the um, discharge meeting saying listen i understand what's happening um, I agreed to the Mental Health Act and I agreed to take treatment and all these other things and, and looked at the doctor, looked at the new key worker at the time, um, looked at his mum who was there as well and, and other family members and was saying all the things you kind of hope people would say after having a relapse. Unfortunately, this, this young gentleman was discharged on the day, went missing and, and was found later to, to have um, successfully ended his life. Um, and what I take from that is I look at the two years I worked with this gentleman and the entire time we treated him off the mental health act he had many relapses but there was no point during that time that he tried to take his own life and I feel like he was such a free spirit and such a such a high energy adventurous kind of gentleman that when he felt when he found out that those days would be over even though it it would have been a temporary thing. Um, when those days would have been limited, I think he made a decision then and there that he just didn't want that life anymore, um, being treated under the Mental Health Act. So, from that point on, it's it's kind of given me this this feeling that I think we can be very inflexible at times, and we allow fear to kind of dictate a lot of our treatment and follow up. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it our measurement is risk and safety right um, as well as efficacy of treatment and all that other stuff but a big part of it is safety and it, it's it made me realize that we need to be more flexible in how we approach these guys and, and sometimes they that that's the recovery journey you know some people need to relapse a couple of times to come uh, to, to a stage in their life where they don't want to be doing that anymore and, and I've got plenty of positive examples uh, of that as well um, but this one stood out for me in particular because of that drastic change i saw him you know and that's nothing on the new doctor nothing on the new psychiatrist they were doing what we would probably end up doing anyway as well because of all the relapses that he was having and he was you know people don't like clients relapsing all the time it's it's quite a big disruptive thing and and it's also not good for the client too but it, it was it was the freedom that we gave him to make those decisions that i think kept him going for a very long time And when the prospect of that freedom going um, or the prospect of that freedom disappearing, I think sealed the deal for him. And I don't think anyone could have um, really, really stopped it from happening, as as sad as it to say about that. You know, so the mental attack is, like I said, is a double edged sword for a lot of people
0: thank you for sharing that it's 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 it's, um an interesting reflection because you know it's as you say the mental health act is a double-edged sword you know it it can be very helpful at times and it it, it's also not very helpful at times and i guess finding the balance you know it's not Mm -hmm. always that easy
1: and what is the balance Mm -hmm. that that's the question i always ask myself you know what is the balance now you can Assess the living shit out of someone, um, but your assessment is only as good as what the person is is telling you. You know, you mm-hmm. can also um, base that upon their history and things that's happened in the past, but you know, you kind of have to go with what they're saying on the day at that time. Um Cheer and I? And look, look, that person was under the mental effect and, and and still, unfortunately, um, lost his life. So, you know, mm-hmm. was it the right call? I'm not sure. I f- and I guess I'll never know
0: and what I've noticed as well, is a lot of people we work alongside usually have had engagements with MetaHouse Services over multiple, many, many years, and some of the people have been in their services, you know, f- you know, for more than 10 years, 15 even, you know, and so why I actually point that out, there's out, a lot of people, you know, They know about the Mental Health Act, Um, they know what questions you're going to ask as a nurse or as a you know, um, especially around your assessment, you know, and sometimes I've noticed that people end up telling you what you want to hear, and I guess a part of me feels that they're not truly saying what's going on in their lives, um, because they are afraid that you would become concerned as a nurse and initiate the mental health act you know and you know so i'm i'm kind of also reflecting on that so some people for example are you know not sharing everything because they're afraid that you might actually start the act and it kind of puts you in a position where you're thinking everything is fine everything is great um the person is on the right track and he's doing or she's doing well you know but actually things might not be going that well or there's some things or concerns and things. And it's just because of the hesitance of disclosing. But I guess on the mm. other end, you know, if the person truly disclose what's going on, you're in a position to help. I'm not always necessarily with the mental health act, you know, it can be other options, you know, change of medications or, you know, bringing in additional support. or whatever that may be, mm. but I do agree, Gio. I think I do think the mental health act is often used uh, too quickly and, um, for longer than it truly is necessary Mm. something i've also reflected on you know um i guess in our previous podcast we spoke about the revolving door you know um Mm. we you know people come into our service we provide support education you know all those kind of things and discharge back into the community so i guess the aim at that point is to promote independence and recovery for that person you know um so what I've, I've reflected on is sometimes people for example come into the service under the mental health act you know for whatever reasons um and then i get to that you know introduce myself from you know the community know, the, the person with distrust from the inpatient unit into the community and that's where i come in as a community nurse and i would introduce myself hey you know it's me leonard i'm your your case manager and you know i'm trying to make that contact and the person might not actually want to be on the mental health act doesn't necessarily want to see me and and I always acknowledge that it's like hey I do know I know you know things are not easy I know you don't want to be on the mental health act um but because of that binding contract you know we have to provide that service so I say to the person let me help you for example put things in place to you know um show a bit of um responsibility or for example um you know, to help you come off the act, because these specific things people can do, you know, um, to put themselves in a favourable mm-hmm. position or or so that, you know, the mental health act shouldn't be, a, you know, necessary. And that can be, for example, something as easy as connecting up with the GP or, um, you know, being able, you know, even engaging, I guess, in services, actually, you know, uh, talking to the doctor, talking mm-hmm. to the nurses, what's going on and... and mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's always yeah complicated.
1: I, it, it is complicated because it's not your usual run-of-the-mill client who's going to the gp asking for help because they're sick right we have to remember that these uh clients are a very very vulnerable people but also don't accept or understand or have the capacity to understand that they need these supports or these help this help you know um so it's not as straightforward as, as engagement as, as we'd like it to be, you know what I mean? So we'd like people to engage on an informal basis, which is not under the Mental Health Act. But a lot of them don't want to mm-hmm. because of past trauma, um, side effects from the medication, or, or they just don't, un- you know, they're their um, understanding, their experience hasn't been as great. Or, or they just don't accept that they need the support, mm-hmm. you know? So it's actually sitting there finding that balance of their encouraging their rights. But at the same time, knowing that a lot of these guys do need to be, do need support and, and would benefit from supports and treatment, you know? G-
0: Gio, yeah. Um, and something else, I'm actually keen to connect it to the previous part of our discussion with substance abuse. So I guess mm. it's important to point out that if a person is using substances um, and some people for example, are vulnerable to substance abuse. So they might use too much or their body might have a sensitivity to it. Um, And sometimes uh, psychosis can happen from that use or duration of use. Um, So you, for example, have somebody who's using substances become psychotic because of the substance abuse. And, Mm. you know, the Mental Health Act comes into play, you know, because the Mental Health Act is about the psychosis. So suddenly the person, for example, is admitted to hospital you know they um you know go through that psychotic episode with medications or whatever and just because they've not used for a few days they kind of get back to their usual self and discharge you know um but then you've got the same concerns usually with addiction you know person's using you get you know psychotic Mm -hmm. from that back into a hospital um so it's hard so here suddenly you've got somebody who doesn't have an axis one diagnosis it's more kind of substance abuse and psychosis secondary to that um Mm. and then you've got the you know the argument should this person you know um be on the mental health act long term you know because of an addiction um yeah because the ethics is if you can't put somebody on the mental health act uh because Mm. of drug and alcohol abuse um yeah uh, you know but yeah. So the long this. and
1: short of it is, you can't, you can't, you don't meet the criteria for the mental effect if it is drug-induced psychosis. Um, so there's, so there's that aspect of it. I, I do think we we have a long way to go. I think we have a long way to go with legislation and stuff like that, where we need to start looking at empowering and, and giving the freedoms back to our clients to make decisions. But also the same thing in, in drug and alcohol. You know, I think we need to look at it. More as a disease than as a nuisance to society and treated as such. You know, I mean, at the moment, we don't have any real legislation to help support people with drug and alcohol services, you know, so.
0: Oh, and that is what I find very frustrating, Geo. Um, I'll, for example, have a person come onto my caseload with the primary concern is addiction, you know, um, and because they're using so frequently on a daily basis mental mm. state gets affected by that to the point where you know um the psychotic um either you know a high risk to themselves or others and then you've got the psychosis element of it you know meeting both limbs i guess um mm. both limbs of the mental health acts so, and then this person sits on the mental health act but the primary concern is addiction you know so if you yeah. work towards abstinence and help that person in in the recovery i guess the psychosis wouldn't be as prominent and um, the need for medication shouldn't be as, pro, you know, um, prominent, as prominent and their yeah. mental health act shouldn't necessarily be in place. Mm. But then addiction <laughs> services like CADs and dual diagnosis, they say, when you are ready, we are available.
1: But, you know, yes. so, <laughs> so... So they, they're quite limited in what they can do as yeah. well. You know, yeah. um, they don't have the, the luxury, if I should say. Mm. a lu- it's, it's a luxury of the mental health act in that case. Um, but yeah yeah I, th- I think also we have to be you know keep in mind that substances is quite intertwined with mental health issues so very rarely do you find people who have schizophrenia don't have a substance mm-hmm. substance issue you know whether it's alcohol methamphetamine cannabis or whatever mm-hmm. so we have to bear that in mind that it is quite intertwined mm-hmm.
0: and gee if i look at my own caseload usually it's a element of a dual diagnosis so usually access one mm-hmm. like let's say schizophrenia um bipolar and substance abuse and it's usually in the context of cannabis um mm. alongside something like methamphetamine or mdma or something else um so i guess the substances exacerbates a lot of the symptoms um people solely with an access one with schizophrenia or bipolar or things i've got a soft play a soft spot for for people because i I am, um, you know, I understand it, you know, I guess the diagnosis mm. and how impacting it can be. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, knowing it's not from, I guess, an addiction driven or from an external like substances, you know, so, mm. yeah,
1: yeah, Alice, I'm, I'm hopeful a, i am i am hopeful I mean, I'm hopeful that, um, we review these pieces of legislation and, and make it more um, focused on supporting clients i mean geez i mean this act was implemented in 1992 i think it's way overdue for review at this point in time you know what i mean
0: because i do think you know um the mental health act do have a place with with um, a group of people you know um so i have seen for example with the quality of life of an individual um a few individuals you know through the implementation implementation of the act and therefore medication gets to a, a place in life where um there's a, I guess a element of of um can i say harmony or whether able to live some form of life mm. long term but if you for example would take the metal act away and you for example the person stopped taking medications that quality of life at that point in time even though it's not great it's it's some form of you know it deteriorates significantly where that person becomes in a very highly distressed state, you know, usually through um, psychosis or whatever, and into mm. and, and a point where that person is dangerous to themselves or even others, you know, in a highly yeah. paranoid kind of distressed state, mm. and sometimes more often would seriously harm themselves or seriously harm the community. Mm. Um, so definitely there's a place for the Mental Health Act, uh, I guess in my opinion. Yeah. but. I don't think it should be used um, too readily, and I always think um, it should be used more short-term with the majority of cases. I
1: I agree 100%. Um, And the unfortunate thing about all that is that risk will always be risk, right? We will always... Our most solid form of decision-making is always going to be a person's risk, and unfortunately, when people people are risky and there's a lot of people who are not going to take that chance of mm-hmm. allowing someone to you know mm-hmm. go through that process mm-hmm. um which is unfortunate but i can also understand why we we take that route you know we have a, a big majority we, we have a, a high percentage of people who kill themselves mm-hmm. you know so we do have to take that into account mm-hmm. so to finish it all off right how would you fix the system <laughs> 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 no 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 to, f- to finish all off uh, i guess all, all i have to say is that you know as much as we mental health clinicians have a very bad rap to them and, and actually mental services as a whole i think people don't realize the difficult decisions that we have to make on a day-to-day basis and sometimes on behalf of other people um and i think we try our best and we don't always get it right
0: though and that's the thing geo i think it comes down to um you know um even you know a nurse even though we're not the responsible clinician that usually is the doctor but i think even as a nurse you and me having this discussion today it it is you know it influences your practice you know so because i've made that decision you know if a person is on the mental health act and if that person is able you know to put specific things in place i guess um Mm. you know the need, you know, isn't mental health type always necessary? You know, so giving that indi- individual that you know autonomy mm. back.
1: And, you know, yeah. And I think we'll get there one day. I think we'll get there one day. All right, man. Thanks so much for today. That was a hefty, uh, yeah, hefty podcast. Yes.
0: Thank you, Giovanni. I actually enjoyed it.